Welcome to episode 74 of the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. Sometimes a model is better than a message. Hi, this is Keith Tusi, and welcome to Leadership in Context. We're going to pick up on lesson number four on imitation, the things that the Word of God, particularly the Apostle Paul, called us to imitate in very particular terms. And I want to say thanks to all you who are listening and sharing the podcast with other folks. Our our listenership is jumping up and getting a lot of feedback. So that's very encouraging for me, and I'm glad this is being a blessing to you. Let's jump in here to 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter and the sixth verse. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So he's commending the Thessalonian believers for imitating them because they've watched Paul be persecuted and handle it with joy for receiving the word. Notice The point of conviction was the word, not their preferences, not their experiences, but it was the word of God that was buried deep in their heart that they chose to suffer, not just suffer, but suffer with joy. I actually like how the Living Bible translates this verse. It says, despite the trials and sorrows it brought you, that you endured. And, you know, there is a truth that when you are convicted of something in your spirit, that doesn't mean that it always makes your life easier. It doesn't mean that it'll make the people around you appreciate you, applaud you, or understand you. Actually, it can do the opposite. It can make people even understand you, even accuse you, and uh, think uh, something completely erroneous about your situation. But Paul is talking here about the model, that we're called to imitate their behavior. The one thing I know about outside persecution is this. As I've read the scripture, as I've looked at the life of the martyrs and and understood history and been fortunate to be around people in my life who have made a stand for truth that wasn't always reacted to in a pleasant or rewarding manner, those people all have something in common. They suffered on the inside before they suffered on the outside. Meaning this, that in their walk with the Lord, their their communion with God, they were in a place where the word could speak to their heart, where they underwent the rumblings of the soul, the consternation of the spirit. When God would speak to them and not allow them to compare themselves to the standard quo in the church or in ministry or whatever it may be, that God would just deal, just would agitate them by his Holy Spirit and get them to embrace the calling on their life, their calling to holiness, their calling to sanctification, their calling to action, their calling to generosity or, or sacrifice or whatever that calling may have been. They embraced that on the inside. Therefore, when there was outward pressure that came against them on the outside, there was something there that they that could work out. And this is what Paul is commending the Thessalonian church for, that they were an example, that they had imitated what they had seen. You know, a, a model is, uh, 
is better than a message sometimes. I mean, we need the message. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. But God knows that we need living models. We need epistles. Jesus was the word, and that word was clothed in flesh. He was the expression of God. God didn't just send a message. God sent the message in a model. And I believe that's what the church is to be, what believers would be. Now, the exact thing that he's referring to happened in Acts 17, where we see where they're going into uh, Thessalonica, and it says, I'll just pick it up in verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a leading number of leading women. And the Jews became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people, meaning they went to Jason's house to draw the apostles out so that they could persecute him. Fortunately, they were not there when they went to Jason's house. But I want you to notice what he says here, that there was a stirring. You know, people pray for revival. They pray for a move of God. But, you know, historically, revival was very messy. Uh, it could even be ugly sometimes. Uh, and disruption is one of God's spiritual techniques to get people's attention. And so here we see a great disruption. And there seems to be a philosophy, a quasi-theology in the church today that we should go along to get along rather than to be the people that stand out in the culture, that stand out with truth and, and speak God's truth in love, but speak it with definite clarity. Notice here that there was a number of leading women. You know, what's interesting about that in the chapter before where they had just come from Thyatira, that's where they met this lady whose name was Lydia, who was a seller of purple. And of course, it was her house that they went to when they were persecuted. And she had economic clout in the city. And, and historians tell us that she had great influence. Well, now we go down here and now they're in Thessalonica and the same thing is happening. There's a great crowd of women. And, you know, there was a there was an apostolic team around Jesus that had women in it. And it seems like the pattern in the New Testament is that there was this group of courageous women that would, would rise up, that would be stirred up. And maybe part of it is the fact that in Christianity, the message of Christ so liberates women because in all these cultures, women were suppressed. It amazes me today as we look at some of the things that are going on, you know, what I'd call the battle of the sexes maybe, is in trying to elevate women and address things that are real and in some cases unreal maybe even, that they're neglecting the very, very foundation of what liberates women. And of course, that's Jesus Christ, because we are created equal. And if you look across the board in every nation, the nations that where women flourish have are respected or are treated with dignity, those are the nations where the gospel is preached. When you go into nations like Muslim nations, Indian nations, Buddhist nations, then what you're going to find is there is not a, a liberty because the Christian gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom has a dignity about human life, not just 
because we're humans, but because we're created in the image of God. And so we, we see this, this movement, we see this stirring happening all the time. So the effect on women is very, very powerful. Then also notice in verse 5, it says, but the Jews becoming jealous. I noticed in the, you know, I write notes in my Bible, how about you? But I have this little note scribbled at the bottom of this page. I don't know when I wrote this or what caused me to write it, but it's been in there for a long time. It says, never be surprised at the role jealousy plays in people. Isn't that interesting? Never be surprised at the role jealousy plays in the people. And then I wrote after this, that truth is not a sh assumed motivation. I know in pro-life circles back in the early days when we were really involved and there was a lot of uh, technology and, and uh, media that was not yet available where we could see the child's beating heart and we could see the development. We thought if people will just see this, it will just change. Abortion will be abandoned. That was naive because they really didn't want truth. They wanted their own way. So, you know, one of the questions we've got to ask ourselves going back to that, that inward uh, suffering is, are we really truth seekers? Because the things Paul was complimenting them about here at the end of the day is that they were choosing truth over comfort. So we should be those people that are choosing truth over comfort and being aware that we do not want to be motivated by jealousy. And then sometimes you're dealing with situations where you may have favor, you may have an anointing in your life, God may be doing something, and people are not really interested in the facts or we're not interested in truth. They are jealous. They have kind of a communistic view of favor. They don't believe that you can be favored and they can be favored at the same time as if God doesn't have enough to spread around and give around as he would so choose. There are six times the Apostle Paul brings this up about imitate me or complimenting them for imitating him. Here is one of those key times where he says, you imitated us because you received the word of God. You honored the word of God. So let's put the word in our heart and allow it to do its work so that we can walk it out and be the example and imitate the true soldiers of the faith. Hey, thanks for being with me for this podcast of Leadership in Context. Share this with a friend and uh, dive into the Word and examine these things and see if it does not stir your heart to love and serve Him more than ever. In Jesus' name. Today, Keith picked up his discussion on being imitators. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But sometimes we need that example. Jesus was the Word clothed in flesh. God did not just send a message. He sent the message in a model. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. Join us next week as Keith continues to put leadership truths in the context of the local church. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. For show notes, or to ask Keith a question, email podcast at innerpastors.com. If you would like more information, you can check out our website, find us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at innerpastors. See you next week.